Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in French Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest in this episode is Annabelle Kim, the author of Cacaphonie, the excremental canon of French literature, and the book was published by University of Minnesota Press in 2022. Annabelle is one of a few authors in the almost decade since I launched this podcast, who I've had the privilege to speak with more than once, and this is our second conversation. Our last one was right here on New Books in French Studies back in 2019, and we spoke about Unbecoming Language, Anti-Identitarian French Feminist Fictions, and that book was published by the Ohio State University Press in 2018. Welcome back, Annabelle. It is such a pleasure to be back, Roxanne. I am very excited to speak with you in general, but especially about this amazing book. Just before we started recording, I was saying that my experience of reading this book was all the feels, <laughs> so many feels, uh, emotional, physical. We talked, Annabelle, the first time we had a conversation about why France and French literature for you. Um, but I wouldn't mind kind of revisiting that. Everybody should go listen to that interview. But um, just for people who haven't heard it, to give that kind of baseline of like, how did you become a scholar of French literature? Yeah, of course. You know, I'm happy to, to re-narrate it, especially because I think it's at the core of all the work that I do, the kind of anti-identitarian bent of all my work. You know, I first came into French just kind of by accident. I was an annoying younger sister and <laughs> my older sister had taken French. Um, so when I got into junior high, which was when they started offering, you know, second language courses, um, I chose French. Um, that was just a no-brainer for me. And by that point, you know, I was a tween and I was starting to feel angsty because I, even though I grew up in the California Bay Area, which has a pretty substantial Asian community, mm. uh, I wanted so badly to assimilate and be a white person. I was so ashamed of my of my Koreanness, my Asianness, to the point that I basically lost my Korean as a language, even though it was the first one that I'd learned. You know, Korean was my mother tongue that I betrayed, and English, which was the language that took over once I started school, 
uh, the language that I like started thinking in, existing in. Um, it was my bad stepmother tongue. Mm. And so, you know, by the time I got to junior high, I was old enough and sentient enough to kind of be aware of this sort of existential conflict between these two languages and, and the sort of linguistic impasse as far as like navigating my identity went. So once I started learning French and became kind of more, more and more proficient enough to be able to have access to, you know, like real conversations, cultural objects, etc., I realized that when I was functioning in French that I felt free, right? Because here was a language that had no emotional, psychological baggage. It had nothing to do with me. Like this language was just pure communication, expression. And that was so liberating. And I felt so grateful to French for that experience that I just kept with it ever since. That's a great story and one that I, as a South Asian Canadian, can relate to and who studies France, <laughs> can relate to in so many ways. And I, we've talked about this kind of stuff before. Uh, and it's especially fascinating to me, you know, when I read the first book, but in, in this project as well. And I want to come back around to that. So I'm going to just, you know, ask, like, how did this shit happen? How did this book come out of in relationship to, in opposition to, I don't know, the last project and then just in general, how did it emerge? Right. I mean, it was not planned by any means. It was just kind of serendipity um, because I had thought that after, you know, Unbecoming Language, I'd, I'd always thought that my second book project would, would have something to do with like animal studies. <laughs> but really, cacophony has its origins in the classroom. When I was in graduate school, I had the opportunity to TS, um, be a teaching fellow for a course on the um, modern French novel that was taught um, by Alice Kaplan and Maurice Samuels. And um, one of the books that we read was Celine's Journey to the End of the Night. And uh, I, you know, it's a big, it's, it, it's a big novel. It's a bonkers novel. There's so much going on. But one of the scenes that stands out the most to me is this moment where the protagonist, uh, Banamu, arrives in uh, New York City and ends up in the, one of the underground kind of public toilets. And it's just like the scene filled with... Uh, burly, red-faced, defecating men that Celine describes as a kind of joyous communism. And I was obsessed with it. I was so obsessed with the scene and I wanted to discuss it in section. And when I brought it up, my students just like looked at me with such blank stares and, and they looked at me at like I was some sort of like raving poo maniac. <laughs> they, 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 they had read all but the same book and nobody, like truly nobody remembered this passage. And, you know, of course, you know, in any given class, you know, there will be students who do the reading and students who don't. But there are always some students who do the reading. And the fact that nobody remembered this, you know, that that was striking to me. But then I just kind of filed it away and forgot about it. But then when I started teaching as a professor, I um, taught the book again and a similar reaction. And I thought, wow, these are very different sets of students. Um, like, what is going on? And and one of my other courses that I was teaching come up at the same moment just sort of accidentally, like like all the courses I teach feature primarily canonical texts. Like I like for students to have a sense of the sort of shape of of, of the French canon, um, just because, you know, th th those are the shared points of reference in, in, in many ways. And so when these other kind of canonical texts, and that was when I was teaching like the Roman Gary, for instance, um, the Genet, et cetera, um, those students also for those texts, like never seem to pick up on 
on the fecal content. And I was like, huh, like there is a weird, a very weird sort of fecal blindness that seems to cut across like various uh, groups of, of, of students um, who come from very different backgrounds, but like they seem to be united by their fecal blindness. And I was also struck by how like this kind of syllabus I'd accidentally put together had so many um, texts that had an excremental dimension to them. So I thought, well, I can see this shit, even if my students can't, even if the scholarship doesn't seem to be able to see it. So let me dig into this. Like, why is there so much shit in the the canonical works that are deemed to matter? Um, and that was that was how Cacophony started. I I love this idea of and share it too. Uh, we're we're not the same person. <laughs> I do, but we do have certain things in common. I just love this idea of work coming out of our teaching because I do think, and I think this is true for a lot of scholars, like especially the relationship between first books and subsequent books or projects that you know one comes out of the intellectual you know interests that we might have in grad school or from our mentors or whatever. But then yeah, teaching really does shape or can shape the projects that we come up with as we continue in our careers. And so this is a, that that's really interesting to me. What's also interesting to me, and I, I've heard you mention this, you know, in talks and at other moments that apart from your intellectual and literary interests, you feel like your, that your interest or that your awareness and your lack of fecal blindness that's drawn you to these texts and authors and moments in French literature that that has a, a kind of cultural, personal, there's a personal story behind that. So do you want to tell us a little bit about like why is Annabelle Kim the right, if not best person to pursue this, <laughs> this project? Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think that the Kim in my name has a lot to do with mm-hmm. it. Um, the fact that I um, am Korean American, you know, Korean culture for those who might not be aware of, of this, it's, it's a very... Uh, fecally open culture, I would say, you know, it, it, the fecal taboo is, it doesn't really exist. Like growing up, it was normal to talk about our defecation. Like it was not a source, a site of shame. It was something that we talked about because it was important for our health, you know? Um, and, you know, and if, you, if she, there's like a toilet museum in, in Korea that, that is devoted to <laughs> like the history of, of defecation. Oh, you, you can buy like poop themed, like toothpaste, you know, it just, it's just like, <laughs> and if you watch Korean shows, it is rare to find a Korean show that does not somehow manage to like work defecation into the dialogue somehow. And I don't know if um, others have noticed this, but I think one thing that d- differentiates Korean television from, um, like American television or like just Western television in general is that like Korean shows always feature a lot of people eating. Mm-hmm. So so there's a kind of a, uh, attention to these everyday sort of corporeal habits that you don't really get in like American TV. And I think that also is linked to like the recognition that we eat. And obviously if we eat, we shit. And that is also acknowledged. To give you, uh, I guess, a sense of like the fecal dimension of, of Korean culture, there's a there's a game um, in, in in Korean culture called Dongjip, which I know there's an equivalent in, in Japanese, and the, the the name is eluding me right now. But basically, it sort of literally translates to like like shit needle or like poop needle. And basically, you t- you put your two index fingers together 
um, and your thumbs and your rest, the rest of your fingers are like crossed or like, you know, put down. So you basically have like a kind of, you make a gun or a little like pointer, like with your, with your, with your hands. And then you run around trying to poke other people in the butt, uh, in the butthole, uh, more specifically. Okay. And I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I remember it's been a long time since I've been to Korea, but the last time I was in Korea, I was, I think, 18 years old. And I played a game of, of Dongjit with like a group of people ranging from like young children to like people in their 20s. And like Dongjit also like you get featured in some like Korean like shows, et cetera. So it's it, where, where adults are, 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 are portrayed doing this too. Um, and I just remember going to college and <laughs> I tried to make friends in game. And it did, you know what? It didn't go over well. No. It really didn't. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's just like, I think there's a th- different sort of orientation toward fecality um, in, in Korean culture that just doesn't exist in American culture. And I do think the fact that I, I grew up with that um, and that I was, you know, shaped by it may, made it so that I never internalized um, the fecal taboo, despite my desires for assimilation. And this is a kind of crazy um, sort of confession on my part, but I so thoroughly associated Fecality was Koreanness. That until I was in, <laughs> until until I was in junior high, I actually thought that white people didn't shit. Whoa! Um, because I had never heard another white person kind of talking about or like fessing up to defecating. Like the only people I knew in my life who talked about like defecation was my family and like the other members of like the Korean community that um that i grew up in and it seems so insane you know right because like biologically like we're the same species and yet yet that kind of sort of discursive sort of rhetorical sort of self-censure or or erasure made me believe that like fecality was something distinctly non-white yeah that's really fascinating and i I mean, I'm fascinated by it for lots of reasons, including, you know, thinking about you as a reader and as a as a writer and scholar, like the triangle of your Korean background, your like American professional pedagogic, whatever school life and and work as an academic. And then, of course, like the connection to France. So how this book, this project kind of sits at like inside the triangle all of those different cultural things. I'm I'm also interested with respect to this question of fecal blindness in the, I was about to say historiographic. I mean, it's probably that too, but like in terms of literary studies, like you, you make the point about your students and about your own kind of interest in these scenes and moments in the literature that you're exploring in this book, but also that that exists in literary studies. And maybe you mean in literary studies writ large or literary studies focused on French literature, whatever you mean, can you say a little bit more about the fecal blindness that is intellectual with respect to, to French literature? Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, historical element is a really important one. It, it's not difficult to find uh, scholarship uh, on excrementality in French literature, as well as I think English, English literature too, um, when it pertains to the early modern. Um, and even so, you know, it's like you have you know, someone like Rabelais, for instance, and of course, it's like really hard not to not to uh, see and uh, and be forced to sort of acknowledge the 
the body um, corporeality of of Ravale, for instance. And so that does exist. You know, there's a um, wonderful volume called Fecal Matters in Early Modern Literature and Art. Um, and it's edited by Jeff Purcells and Russell Ganim. And it came out in the aughts. But even then, you know, this, this song that was dedicated to looking at, at fecal matter in, in the early modern period, it, it framed, like in the introduction, it framed the work around still as responding to the fecal taboo. So there's still the sense... Like even in the sort of period where um, there was more visibility for work being done on fecality, it, that, that you still had to push past a certain fecal taboo. And in comparison, there was almost nothing um, on modern literature that dealt with fecality. I mean, a few things here and there, but nothing that w- would be considered, I think, particularly mainstream, right? And so I was struck by that kind of the difference in terms of periodization, you know, it's it's like people would be able to acknowledge the fecality of the early modern in a way that they weren't really able to acknowledge or be conscious of the fecality that still continued into like the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way we associate the 20th century like um, as in the 19th century too, for that matter, as just being more sanitary um, mm. than than the early modern. You know, it's easy to think, oh, well, that was like the, the medieval, the early modern. That was when people were, you know, emptying their, their chamber pots at the window. Um, that was, you know, before plumbing. Um, so I think that th- there's this kind of fantasy in the narrative of like, well, you know, we had progress. We developed things and, and then physicality just kind of disappeared from view in a way that was impossible not to acknowledge in the day-to-day um, kind of material conditions of, of living in the early modern. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. One of the main projects of the book, as I see it and as you articulated in the introduction and elsewhere, is this idea that what you're interested in foregrounding and reading and thinking through is the materiality and the material experience of the fecal in and through this these literary works and authors that that the book is focused on and i guess i yeah i want to just kind of spend a little bit of time with you asking like what does that mean and what is it against um in the sense that you know to say that excrement is matter and that you're going to pursue the materiality of excrement rather than other ways of reading it thinking about it um, turning it into something else, abstraction, among other things. So can you say a little bit more about the emphasis on the material in this project and, and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, and I think that you were touching upon, like, the the, the crux of, of, of the book is essentially for me, the materiality of fecal matter that I insist on because I think that the, the authors that I uh, treat in the book also insist on on it in their writing, that has everything to do with universalism um, as it's been conceived in the French context as a bad, bad, like appropriative, abstract universalism. Mm. What what interests me in terms of the kind of um, granted sort of selective vision or cross-section of the French canon that I provide is the way um, there is such, I think, a desire to level difference. I think there is that that I think that all of the works um, are animated by a kind of kaka communism, sort of equality before and through fecality, and that 
stands at odds with with France's abstract universalism. So I think is that um, this kind of literary fecal matter ends up being a corrective to abstract um, universalism by providing a co- concrete fecal universalism instead. Like in my head, the all the excrementality in the French canon is trying to make good on the values, um, the revolutionary values that France claims to be built on. Um, but uh, as we obviously know, because history it fails to ever promise on um, or make good on. You know, shit is so interesting because we are so attuned to its um, materiality in our everyday life. If we st- step in dog shit, for instance, it's like there's the immediate reaction of like ick, or if we get stomped by a bird, or like you know, it's 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 like we know intimately, every one of us, what the materiality of fecal matter is, and yet it's also in the way we we use um, kind of uh, uh, an excremental like. Uh, uh, um, lexicon, if you will, like shit gets, and in, 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 in the way we use shit as 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 a word, as a kind of lexical field, it is so abstracted, right? It's like shit, shit can mean something that is so far removed from its original sort of referent. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the literary shit is trying to remind the readers of the concrete nature of shit that is often, I think, sort of. Uh, occluded in the ways we use or speak of shit in our language. So along these lines, I mean, it's true that just based on my training and my interests, like the first place I go to in my mind in terms of reading shit when I do this, which is not, which is going to be a lot more often now after reading the book, is psychoanalysis. And so around this question of materiality, I was really intrigued by your interest in a field like waste studies and not a refusal, but a sort of the, the underlining that you do, you know, when you set out the project in the introduction, that this isn't about reading shit psychoanalytically, that that's not what you're interested in and for very good reasons. So can you tell us a little bit about like, why is it, well, not just, but let's say waste studies rather than psychoanalysis? Maybe you should tell us what waste studies, I mean, we, it sort of sounds like it's self-evident, but make yeah. I mean, waste studies is such a it's such a big yeah <laughs> field. It's such a heterogeneous um, kind of field. But I mean, it is what it sounds like. It is it is um, scholarship that deals with human waste um, in uh, writ large. So both sort of kind of corporeal like excreta, uh, but also kind of trash our excess kind of the the, the remainders of our like capitalist sort of mania to always consume and always produce more than we can consume you know it's 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 a really heterogeneous and vast um and multidisciplinary field and i but i think that one thing that um that waste studies has uh in common or that that you could find in any sort of iteration of 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 waste studies is this sort of attentiveness to the material dimension and existence Mm -hmm. of waste whatever kind of waste you're working on and I think what I, um, the reason I sidestep psychoanalysis um, in the book is precisely because psychoanalysis isn't really interested in, in, in shit as, as, as material, right? It's like, it's interested in, in reading shit and using shit to um, promulgate a certain type of narrative. And it's a narrative that is, you know, because it's psychoanalysis, it is very much invested um, in, in the self, 
right, in a kind of contained subjectivity that can be identified as a subject, if you will. And, you know, what I was alluding to earlier with what I see as like literary ships, its desire to level and its capacity to level, I think that is also a kind of disindividuating uh, um, sort of move. Um, uh, because in some sense, I think that what makes shit amazing is like just the way like our digestive system, right, can take all kinds of disparate and very distinct types of food and then kind of turns it all into the same sort of uniform like matter as it travels through and is processed by by our um by our digestive digestive system i see it doing something similar on the lines of like Mm -hmm. persons and subjectivities it's like it it is able to kind of dissolve the i think the differences and the distinctions that would make it possible to like differentiate an individual from another um so i think it's very much not about like identity and not about being a subject um and so for that, I thought, you know, psychoanalysis, it's not adequate. That and also psychoanalysis in terms of this, the sort of tr- like Freudian or Christavian um, accounts of, of shit, it, it, they're dematerializing, right? It's like with, with, with Freud, you have like gold, the, the, the equation between gold and feces. So it's kind of more about feces as a sort of stand-in or a sign or for, for wealth, right? You have like... Kristeva and abjection and it's all about like the way these abject materials like shit or like corpses or like wounds you know the, the horror and the disgust that they elicit like signals like a breakdown right um, in meaning um, following a breakdown and like the distinction between the self and the other again it's about the sort of like the emphasis is on the self it's on that kind of intersubjective encounter but like, because it's so focused on like the psychic goal, like that 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 I think is also sort of dematerializing. I don't think either Freud or Kristeva are interested in like what shit looks like, what it smells like, what it feels like. Whereas I think that the authors in my corpus they are interested mm-hmm. in those in those qualities. So I'm gonna ask a like a pretty dumb question <laughs> about reading. Uh, in in literary studies, I guess I want to ask about the relationship in the project between reading this work and literature about shit that deals with shit, that describes shit, that has scenes and moments of shit, and literature as shit, writing as shit, like how um, shit is part of the process or an analogous process, like the relationship between this book as a tracking of shit in literature and this project as also using shit to think about literature and literary studies. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I think that, you know, you, you've just essentially um, pointed out to like the two sort of kind of different levels uh, in which shit operates in, in, in cacophony, which is like, yes, obviously I am tracking the shit in, in, in these various works um, by Céline, Beckett, Roman Garry, Duras, um, Sacre, Junet, and then kind of in, in the from the 21st century, a, a, a more kind of an open sort of question in terms of canonicity, um, Daniel Pinac and Angareta. I am, of, of course, tracking the shit in, in their works, but I think that one of the consequences of tracking the shit in their works is it also sort of 
allows me to frame literature itself as being shit. And this is a kind of comparison that gets made by, um, I think, the authors as well. So in um, Jean Genet's um, Notre Dame des Fleurs, uh, there is a passage where the narrator describes like shooting out a poem. There, like in Gareta's uh, Dans le Béton, I think there's a pretty clear sort of analogy being, or equivalence being established um, between like the materiality of concrete and the materiality of, of shit. Um, and the materiality of language as the the medium with which writers work. So really, I think it's it, it's that the one follows from the other. Like if you if one attends to the shit that is in this literature, that allows one to see that literature is shit. Who is it that said their work should be used to wipe shit? Oh yeah, I think um that was I think that was. Back yet, and it was just like you right. had a toilet paper. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Okay, so at all of this is associated with, but not um, totally determining of the project in this book around questions of canon. Like, to think of literature as shit is, is connected to what you're trying to get at in terms of, and you just mentioned it by mentioning those two 21st century authors. Like, these authors that you've chosen, well, they're all heavy hitters <laughs> but the 20th century is that authors that you've chosen are are the shit like they're they're the 20 you know yeah like and, basically and um <laughs> so yeah how does that issue of thinking about literature as shit the way these authors frame it that way or or refer to it that way and the question of canon how are those two things related i think when I, you know, was writing the book, I had a kind of, I think, idealistic um, vision and fervor that really wanted to frame the, the the shit in these canonical works as able to end the canon, right? Um, because, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, we know the canon wars happened and, you know, our, 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 and never really stopped happening. Um, and... The canon is, um, you know, one of the kind of, um, I think, most visible markers of um, kind of of of, of inequity as it is manifested in, in culture. Um, and you know, the canon obviously, like the canons of national literature, serve like the projects of nation states. 
in terms of how like closely it's tethered to to, to national identity, especially in the case of um, a country like France, which we know is sort of obsessed with literature and in its own sort of um, cultural patrimony in ways that I think that, you know, for instance, the United States just isn't. And so I really wanted to be able to kind of come out through the other end being like, yes, this is going to just like bust open the canon. The canon is no more. But one of the readers' reports I got kind of pointed to real tension between what I was saying in my optimistic, like down with the canon, et cetera, um, uh, uh, sort of rhetoric, um, and what my book was actually doing. Right. Because in, in many ways, it's like I I was working on like truly, like as you said, like writers who are the shit, like think of the most canonical figures from the last century. And I think it's obvious to whomever will, you know, read my readings of these works that, like, I love this literature. I love these texts. I love thinking with these texts. So clearly, my own sort of work sort of delving into um, and sounding out the experimentality of literature did not end up busting open the canon. If anything, it kind of reinforced it. Um, And so that made me kind of rethink my relation to the canon in, in certain ways. And I think it's more honest, you know, the literature doesn't destroy the canon. It's not really capable of doing that. But I think what it does instead is it abides with the canon in a way that I think still has a really sort of radical potential, which is to call attention to, like, precisely to the kind of the, the tension between the canon as it likes to imagine itself to be, right? So the canon as like, the great works, the crown jewels of like Western civilization, mm-hmm. French civilization, etc., as something that lasts, that is that will perdure in a way that like inferior, you know, cultural products just cannot, etc., etc. But it's you know, the canon essentially promises mm-hmm. eternity, and I think that's part of why the canon is so attractive. But shit is like the negation of eternity. Mm-hmm. It is what reminds us of our mortality as we like shit out putrefaction, hopefully on a daily basis um, from our guts. We talked earlier, Annabelle, about resisting the idea that like shit is an abstraction or that it stands for something else. I do want to ask you, not in relationship to sexuality per se, although that's part of the shitty grab bag I'm going to offer you, think about shit and difference and the way that shit stands for different types of difference. So this is the solid question of like shit as a figure for racial difference, shit as a figure for homosexuality, queerness, like gender different, like shit as a figure for class difference. So when we talk about the materiality of shit, like, yes, everyone shit. But what do you do in this project with those questions of shit and difference and I mean, like shithole country comes to mind, but like other things, right? Right. Where, does that, where does that go now in the project? Given the authors that you're looking at, you know, whiteness and shit, straightness and shit, uh, class privilege and shit. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, and I think that has everything to do with the, with why um, this is a very 20th century project. Uh, I mean, yes, I am a t- specialist of the 20th century, but part of why it is restrained to um, the 20th century is because 
the experimentality of 19th century literature where where it does come up um it does not attend to the materiality of shit the way 20th century literature does so you know to to, to give an example i remember um when i was working on this book and this people were like oh like does like are you going to talk about like victor hugo and and like the miserable and the and the like the sewer scene etc but you know in in in, in the miss like you go description of the of the sewers like he's not interested in actual shit coming out of actual human bodies right it's mobilized for the larger project of Miz, which is interested in like mm-hmm. the social body right in in terms of um kind of pointing to like the the wastefulness of like a really um sort of merciless like bourgeoisie that just acquires and acquires and acquires at the detriment of les misérables so you know, the 19th century is basically like that. It's like it's interested in the social body and it uses kind of excrement as a shorthand for a certain kind of body that is inassimilable to or denigrated by the kind of the default white bourgeois male subject. Whereas the 20th century, that that changes. Like there's not you don't I mean, of course, like the the metaphorical applications of shit still continue. You know, you have only to look at like not in right. rhetoric to, to see that at play, certainly. But I think when it comes to the literature and the canonical literature and, 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 and the way these authors are are using it, the metaphorical element, I think, is is displaced by a real interest in uh, as something that, that is produced by bodies. So we've talked about the specificity of shit as material. We've talked about the specificity of the 20th century and, you know, the corpus that you've defined for this project. And I realize, like, I think I've kind of been avoiding the question that we always need to ask and that I'm sure you've been asked a zillion times over the course of this project and since the book came out. Like, what is so French about shit? And why is France so shitty or is France distinctly shitty or French literature distinctly shitty? So like, so I think that's a really good question. And I am limited in the ways that I am most familiar with French literature in a way that I am not with like Anglophone literature, um, literature from 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 other national traditions. I just I just I'm not well read enough to be able to make those kinds of um, direct comparisons. But um, I do think you know, just thinking of language, mm-hmm. right? Um, and people speak. It is striking the way I think French just has a more sort of fecal register to its everyday speech, where you know it's like a s'afficher. It's like that's a normal thing to say. Maybe not like a particularly polished <laughs> thing to say, you know, but normal. Or like je t'emmerde, you know, it's that's also a normal thing to say. And like y- you wouldn't say to anybody in English. Um, like that makes me shit to be like, I, you know, like I think the closest we get to to that is like maybe with like the urinary with like oh, I'm pissed off. I think I do think that there is a kind of uh, linguistic sort of specificity to French that doesn't exist. Um, it, linguistic excremental specificity to French that just doesn't exist in English. And I ended up, you know, in, in the introduction doing a kind of fecal mapping, uh, like, like like language mapping, which was very. Um, interesting for me actually because what you see um in um in kind of tracking the evolution of of the language for shit in french versus in english is that like french is precocious when it comes to shit like merde um exist way before shit ever did in english and like 
what's interesting to me also is that um, the polite words for merde in French also come way later. Like chier comes like at the at the beginning of the 13th century, whereas like défiqué would would um, come six centuries later, like in the 19th century. It's 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 very interesting, and so I do think that um, there is even in the history of the development of the French language itself, a kind of sort of shitty origin that ends kind of getting cleaned up as like modernity happens. This is kind of a, takes us to this thing that I wanted to ask you about in terms of writing the book, because there's also a lot of pleasure and shit in this book, in reading it, and I imagine in writing it. And you really... You don't shy away from the language of shit throughout the project. And when, you know, I've heard you, I'm talking about it with you now, and I've heard you talk about this project, you really, you lean into the humor around it. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like there was, there were moments when this book, I was just like, okay, I just need to put this down. Stop thinking about shit for a minute. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) your mind kind of goes to other shitty things and personal stuff. I mean, I just... It was really quite a ride. So sort of thank you for this experience. <laughs> and, and, and it made me kind of... Can we put that as a, as a, as a blurb? Like, Roxanne Pantaz, yes, sort of thank you. It just, I, I also, and this is probably a little bit because I, I know you too, like, I was just like, what was this like? There's a spectacle around a project like this. I mean, inevitably... Like the cover's amazing. I recently took a photo of the cover of your book on a plane next to the toilet. So, like, what do you do with that? How fun has that been? How irritating has that been? Like, thank you for this question. I mean, I love questions about like process. I think there's there's some of the most interesting conversations like that we as scholars can have. Because, um, like, I mean, that's like the the core of the work that we do. I think writing should always be fun. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's like, there's all sorts that we all know the anguish of writing, certainly. Um, but it's like, I think we also always know, not always, but I think hopefully we all know also the the pleasures of like being in the, in the so-called flow of writing. Um, um, so, you know, I've always enjoyed writing. I think, I think part of it is maybe also my fecal sensibility because it's like when you're playing with word with with language when you're when you're manipulating it like it it, it is like you're playing <laughs> it is almost like kind of being like a toddler who's playing with shit so i, I i've always tended to think of writing as a kind of enjoyable again like recognizing that it can also elicit lots of feelings of abjection afterward or during um but i think writing on shit was certainly more enjoyable than um perhaps writing not on shit and i think in that regard it's like I was really taking um, a cue from my writers because I think you know, it's 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 in the books that I was that I was analyzing. Like they are filled with humor mm-hmm. as well, right? It's like there is a, also on the on the author's part a playfulness, and I think it's hard not to end up getting kind of contaminated by that mm-hmm. in some sense. And I think that's also part of why like I am as sort of unhygienic in my language in the book mm-hmm. as. Um, as I am and insist on using the word shit. I mean, part of it is also because of the lexical mapping that I do and the fact that like, like shit is the originary sort of word in French and that all the other kind of polite things that become way later. But I think this just in general, I was trying to take my cue from the writers. 
my writers, they weren't interested in fecal matter. Like, that's not what they were writing, like, about or with, you know? What they were writing about and with, it was shit. It was merde. Um, so I felt, I guess, authorized to make my own language um, accordingly shitty. Like, one of the consequences of the more sanitized language is that it allows us to take a um, um, distance from or put some, some sort of buffer between us and the materiality of shit. So I, I guess I want to ask you one question, at least about the organization and structure of the book, the way you've kind of arranged everything. Because when I look at the, you know, table of contents and the three parts of the book, part one, necessary shit, part two, shitty ideas, and part three, political shit, like I see a thematic movement towards, you know, some of the arguments that you're making throughout, but the kind of culmination in like, what are the liberatory possibilities of thinking through shit, thinking about shit? Um, and what are the, you know, questions around canon that we've already addressed? But it's also a chronological, roughly, right? Am I right? That it's a chronological yeah, thing. thing. I mean, this is my, this is my chief historian's question that I ask literary sometimes, like, is this a history of French literary shit, like, is there a movement? There's certainly a movement within the parts and within the chapters and between the authors, but where's the book moving from start to finish through the 20th century and into the 21st century, if it is, and it doesn't have to be? Yeah, you know, in terms of why I organized it the way I did, I do think that I was informed by a kind of chronological arc. So, you know, I wanted to start with with, with Céline because Céline is the author who basically blows up French literature, right? Yeah. <laughs> like drags our, our disgusting human bodies into literature in a way that was just completely unprecedented. And also, you know, like basically vandalizes the French language and like desacralizes it in a very serious way, starting with, you know, Voyage à bout de la nuit, where, where, where Céline um, like starts with the very casual ça and the passé composé, like, which was just like absolutely like shocking. And so working on Céline enabled me to kind of try to account for the sort of fecal foundation, if you will, that Céline sets for all the work that's going to come after. Um, and Beckett, you know, is like a, a later writer than, than Céline, but I tried to show the way like Beckett is kind of thinking with Céline in, in certain ways. Um, but I think both the those writers taken together like show the way like like shit is become something that is a sort of found, like necessary structural element of, of of literature. So hence the necessary shit. Like why does literature need shit? And I think that starting with Celine, literature does become something that needs shit. So I said maybe it wasn't so much chronological, but that I was interested in just kind of taking account of the different things that shit can do. So it was important for me to sort of make the argument for why modern literature needs shit. Um, uh, to make the case for shit, if you will. So my, my, my first two chapters are very, I think, attentive to um, the way these authors like build their um, their texts. And then the subse subsequent two chapters in the shitty ideas section of the book, um, I, I do fecal pairings, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I read Sartre and Genet together as a kind of fecal romance gone bad. I read Duras and Barry together, which is like not, I think, a very like not 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 the sort of literary pairing that you would expect because that Duras and Barry are very different authors. But I was interested. Okay, like I dispatched the question of like why sh why why we need shit, and so I wanted to move on to 
to kind of being able to show more what we can do with shit. And so I wanted to point to the conceptual like force uh, and potential of shit. And so with the duas and the yahi um, that ended up being using shit to to kind of formulate a fecal care ethics. In the case of Safton Genet, it was using shit to conceptualize freedom, which is, you know, the core concept, if you will, that I think both Safton Genet devoted their 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 future in, in in a way. And then with the 21st century, with the contemporary stuff, I think I was just struck by the way there was a more, I think, explicitly self-aware political valence to the way the authors were using shit. Um, because I, you know, I wouldn't say, like, obviously, I think that there's a kind of political dimension to like, to all of the, the, the my readings of, of the works. But I wouldn't say that, and, I mean, Sartre is political too, and Judet is political. Yes, like the political kind of is mixed up with everything, but I would say that there, again, it's it's a matter of maybe kind of um, not degree, but like intensity. I don't know, but there just seemed to be something more on the surface, um, kind of baldly political about the projects of um, Penac and Gareta that I wanted to attend to. That attended that that kind of combined both like what shit can do as well as a sort of reflection on what literature is. Because I think that both Pinnak and and Gareta are interested very much in the question of like what literature is and does, um, and are interested in explicitly kind of commenting on that through their work. So, I mean, I guess the, the historical question would be, why is it that, you know, this sort of um, convergence uh, happens in the 21st century that doesn't necessarily happen um, earlier or maybe doesn't happen quite as strongly i mean maybe it's just the the randomness of the con the consequence of making a choice because we all have to choose our our our, our corpora um but yeah yeah well and there's there are multiple ones there that's what i think is kind of interesting is that you are moving chronologically but there's also the pairings and there's also the part and and as somebody who's just continuously fascinated by how people you know write books and finish them and uh i mean like how does anybody write a book and finish a book it it's always a mystery and i don't know about you but anytime i finish something and start something new i always feel like i've forgotten how to write oh yeah of course well and and it's one of the reasons why i love doing the, having these conversations it's like it's to me it's a miracle every time whatever the book is that it that that it exists in the world yeah and again you know after reading your book i just feel like everything is shit like i everything i'm saying about books sounds like you could be saying them about about a turd um which i know i can say that to you and not be denigrating your project by saying that i behold it like one might a turd i i i absolutely like i have attempted to create <laughs> yeah th this book is trying to be in a yeah. there we go <laughs> fully formed like self-stand yeah. and you know able to able to sustain um um some kind of shape in another podcast that i will start someday you and i will have we'll take that you know that medical chart of um, oh yeah and how it shows like all the different kinds and and is a function sometimes of dehydration or other gut problems mm -hmm. like 
there is a a way in which you know that we have review systems for books. We could we could do that. Like it, it'd be pretty easy to do. Like when when I think of like the pellets versus the long smooth, like that those are those are book forms yeah. and structures and effectiveness no, of arguments. Absolutely. And- Lawson, I think I think you're onto something absolutely brilliant. Let's put a pin in that, and we'll we'll pursue this side side hustle. Um, uh, okay, so I could shoot the shit with you all day, Annabelle, but I'm not allowed to. So I'll just, you know, when you said I finish a book and then the next time I I, I it's like I've forgotten. Like, so what are you what are you doing now? What's uh, next for you? Tell us anything you want to tell us before we kind of close it down. Yeah. Um. Thank you for that future-oriented question. When <laughs> it's like, do we have yeah. future? <laughs> what are we doing? Um, so, uh, working on a few things right now. Um, I, um, you know, my next monograph project is um, tentatively titled "Ought to Fiction," um, and it is a kind of case for for fiction. <laughs> for invention because I'm sort of sick and tired of the way contemporary French literature has just been taken over by both autofiction and exofiction um so for the um historians uh in the in the in the room who um might not necessarily uh, be familiar with these literary terms autofiction like this is very like reductive but autofiction is basically like fictionalized like uh autobiography and exofiction again very crudely defined could be as like fictionalized biography but you know it interests me the way um contemporary french literature is so sort of um committed to a kind of working with sort of a referential like historical sort of real like real in terms of um the material for for sure for um for the kinds of fiction that, that that's being published nowadays um and you know, for me, my question is just sort of like, what, what, well, what happened to like making stories up? Why does no one make stories up anymore? <laughs> like, why are we just retelling things that are, you know, kind of verifiable? Um, um, but it's it's all meant that I am um, reading authors that I I just really hate. <laughs> I'm not going to name them. But I don't want to like hang down like. Um, um, uh, open myself up to like um, uh, uh, in- indignant remarks from people who might love these authors. All right, but I think part of also um, the kind of moving from a corpus in Pacaphony where I loved the reading to moving to a corpus where it's painful for me to read has made it wow. that I've been looking for I think productive part of procrastination. So I am also venturing into translation. So along with like Lidhofer, um uh, we are currently um, translating Moine Critiques de Chantier Littéraire for Verso, um, and that should wow. be uh, out. Like, we're not done yet, but that should hopefully be out sometime in 2024. Um, and um, I um, uh, am, as soon as that is done in the summer, I'm going to be translating a novel um, by um, a really interesting contemporary French author, Céline Minard, uh, which is called Plasma for um the um publishing house deep vellum so that's what's um on deck amazing um, and i do also want to make a plug for um a yale french studies um issue that um i'm co-editing with uh, my colleague morgan cadure on monique fatigue our mutique mm-hmm. lesbian materialism which is in preparation or in production kind of moving into production right now so that should be out too in the not so um longish future so yeah 
So not that much then. You're not really, you're kind of taking it easy. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds amazing. It sounds like you're doing so many amazing things. And I look forward to seeing all of them um, as they emerge. Annabelle, I love chatting with you. I loved this book. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for reading it. (laughs) And for talking with me about it. Well, it has been such a a pleasure, a real joy. And um, I think I speak for all when I say, Roxanne, you are the shit. So thanks very much. (laughs) Thanks. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.